Coastal News Today and the American Shoreline Podcast Network's coverage of the 2019 Coastal States Organization Fall Membership Meeting is provided by Coastal Transplants, making dunes grow through consultation, vegetation, sand fencing, and maintenance. Coastaltransplants.com And accommodations provided by Troy Giles and the Palms Resort and Cafe on the Beach. PalmsResortCafe.com If you're looking for the most charming place to stay in South Padre Island, go to the Palms Resort and Cafe. And the American Shoreline Podcast is back at Coastal States Organization meeting here in South Padre Island. I'm Peter Ravella, the co-host of the show. And this is Tyler Buckingham, the other co-host. You know, Tyler, the, uh, the, the meeting here at Coastal States is geared toward the folks who are going to be the guests on this particular episode of the American Shoreline Podcast, and that is the folks who run coastal management programs around the American shoreline and in the U.S. territories. And we have two coastal program managers with us on this edition of ASP. Patty Snow, the Oregon Coastal Program Manager, and Brian Lynn, her counterpart in the great state of Washington, two Coastal Program Managers from the Pacific Northwest. Welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast, Joe. Thank you. Well, uh, I, I can see whenever we have a good Pacific Northwest show, I always like to think of it as like a hoppy IPA yeah. <laughs> or like a good dark roast coffee or something. <laughs> but a uh, really interesting stretch of shoreline, Peter, I'm reminded of our... Uh, interview at ASBPA 2018, uh, where we were with, uh, am, is it Kunkel? Am I, am I get am I confusing my PhD uh, guys? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was, uh, it was from University of Oregon. That's right. Very well known uh, oceanographer, professor emeritus at o- Oregon State University. What's Co- his Comar? name? Comar. Comar. Yes. Paul, yeah. Paul Comar. Paul Comar wrote the book <laughs> on a, sediment transport up there. We loved Paul. Yeah. I got to tell you, very popular show, Paul's show. It is uh, back in the day because uh, we tried to get him to to become a movie reviewer on the American Shoreline podcast because you know he's a com- complete film filmophile. Filmophile. I mean, he Didn't know that he has watched thousands of movies and watches them in series and watches them by directors and yeah. So Paul, <laughs> well, and it's a, it's just a fascinating stretch of shoreline, uh, and it's great to have some. Some West Coast repping on the on ASPN. So thank you guys both for coming on. Well, as an overview, and being the program managers, you guys are on the front lines of coastal management, obviously in the two states here uh, on the northern uh, Pacific coast. And uh, Patty, why don't, we, why don't you introduce us to your state, your coast, and your program? Okay, thank you. Great pleasure to be here. Um, so Oregon, we have about a 400, less than, a little bit less than 400 miles of coastline. It's, it's uh, compared to here in Texas, it's uh, uh, very, um, a very high energy coastline. Uh, we have offshore islands, but they're rocky and, and they're all part of a national wildlife refuge, where, which is very important for birds, for migratory birds. Um, so some of the issues that we're facing, I, I would start out saying we're a networked coastal program, which is different than some of the other ones. Uh, we're actually, our coastal program is part of the state's land use planning program. We're, we're well known. Oregon is a, is a planning state. We have a, we have a very well known land use planning program. So we are a division in that department. So we're a network program. Um, so a lot of the regulatory, uh, work is actually done by other agencies. Uh, another uh, department that 
Department of State Lands actually regulates development removal. We have a Parks Department that regulates development uh, on beaches and dunes and that sort of thing. Uh, but we have the we have the overall coastal program, and we're also the agency that does federal consistency reviews. Mm -hmm. So uh, when there's a federal project in our coastal zone, a federal permit or project, we're the folks that are responsible for reviewing that and making sure that it's consistent with our coastal program. Did want to mention we're in the midst of, of a rather large consistency review right now. Um, mm. A Jordan Cove uh, liquefied natural gas facility and pipeline is being proposed on the southern Oregon coast. Wow. So that is, uh, we've received over 20,000 comments on that. Wow. So wow. Uh, we don't normally have projects that big on the Oregon coast. I, I would like to say that also uh, something that's really different about the Oregon coast is it's not where our major population centers are. Right. Uh, Portland. Salem, Eugene, they're all inland in the Willamette Valley. Yeah. So our, our coast has smaller, smaller cities, a lot of very charming, a lot of them fishing, fishing towns. It's why it's so spectacularly yeah. beautiful. Manzanita, Cannon yeah. Beach, you know, all of those great cities yes. in, the, in the southern Oregon shoreline as well. Gosh, I love the Oregon coast. So I um, did want to mention that one thing, um, and actually it's interesting you mentioned Cobar. I, I went to actually graduate school at Oregon State University when we were long enough ago that at that time we were just discovering that um, that that Oregon is subject to large earthquakes. Not all the time like California, but every, you know, 300, 500, 10,000 years we get these really mega earthquakes that cause huge tsunamis, very similar to the one that happened in Japan a few years ago, where we will get the twin of that at some point. And so that's well, that's been a really important uh, project that our agency, our, our coastal program is involved in, is, is helping working with all the communities that will work with us on the coast to make them more resilient, tsunami ready. So uh, we partner with other agencies, we work with the local governments, and, and so that's a really important piece for us, which is not going to be, you know, as important in other parts of like your Texas or on the right. East Coast, they just don't have those same hazards. And our, our waves, we have big waves, and they're getting bigger. Our storm, we're getting stormier, and so that's also increasing erosion. And we're also uh, very, of course, interested in, in helping our communities address sea level rise. But we figure if, if they're going to be ready for a tsunami, well, they'll also be ready for sea level rise. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think those are, if you can handle one, you can handle the yes. other. Uh, when did the Oregon program become certified by our good friends um, at NOAA? We were just the second program in the country after Washington, 1996. Okay. Yes. Leading the way I, up I, there, Pacific uh, Northwest. Not, I'm sorry, 86. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, not 96. Right. No, actually, it was 76. It could be 76. Goodness, it was 76. Texas, yes. when I was there, we did. We, we were 1996, and we were very late to the game. Yes, I'm sorry, 1976. <laughs> yes. Well, Brian, give us an overview of, of the Washington shoreline. There's a lot mm -hmm. of similarities between the two states here. Uh, but really both spectacular shorelines. Tell us, uh, tell us the audience around the country about your program, your state, your shoreline. Great, thanks. Well, I love the Oregon coast too, but when you hop across the Columbia River, you come into Washington, and uh, we, have, we have a very diverse coast in, in Washington state. So it starts with our Pacific coast. Uh, the southern part is much sandier and, um, you know, and big flat uh, sandy plains. Uh, this is a place where we tend to have some of our erosion hotspots as we move up and down the coast. And the southern part, as you get north, you get typically a bigger, rocky, more rugged coast, very, very remote up there, uh, tribal lands up there, beautiful, spectacular part of our coast. It's amazing, amazing uh, tribal uh, culture, cultural heritage up in that area. Come around the corner through the states of Wanafuca, uh, spectacular yeah. into the, the Northwest Straits and the San Juan Islands up in the north part of the the sound, and then on down into Puget Sound. So we we really have um, 
Yeah. Like, we think of it as like two coasts. We have our, our Pacific coast and our, our inland waters of Puget Sound. And similar to Oregon, our Pacific coast is much you know, more sparsely populated. Uh, small towns, really um, great little towns and, and towns that are um, really dependent on, on the, the resources that the coast provides. So they are connected very closely to the ocean and the estuaries on our coast. And then around in Puget Sound, um, that's where we get more people and more people, big cities, uh, lots of different kinds of issues there, lots of different kinds of shorelines, more gravel shorelines, bluff shorelines, bluffback shorelines. And so uh, very, uh, a very uh, diverse set of shorelines in the state of Washington. Right. I have to say the Olympic Peninsula, one of the most incredible parts of the United States coast, and uh, I've had the pleasure of, of spending some time there, like many, many people at Olympic National Park and then down to the coastline. It's spectacular, uh, incredibly remote and special. Uh, so it, how is it, and has it been over the years? And, and your state was the first, Brian, the first certified... We, we don't like to brag about it, okay. yes, it was the first. Uh, yeah, you did. I do have the... Uh, I would. <laughs> I have the, uh, the letter from President Ford, um, uh, that was sent to then Governor Dan Evans. Um, that's in, wow. in my office, so um, that's the proof. Yeah, we we were the first. So coming up on fifty years almost yeah. for you two yeah. states. That's right. Has it, I wanted to know about how has the public understood and perceived the program through the decades? Is it generally something that that folks are are happy with? Is it a popular program? How does the public understand what you guys do? And are they pretty happy with what you do, or do you bother them occasionally? <laughs> well, well, I'll start with that. Yeah. Um, so one thing that's a little confusing is that um, we we aren't we don't go around with the title of the Washington Coastal Management Program. In our state, um, it funds work that's done out of our Department of Ecology, and we are in a program in that agency called the Shorelands and Environmental Assistance Program, and that's changed its name over the years. So when people think about it, they mm -hmm. first think of us typically as Department of Ecology, and then maybe the Shorelands Program. And then if they're aware, they would know that we're, we are basically the state's coastal zone management program. I see. So it's kind of a series of layers. But in general, the work we do, we, we work a lot in, in partnership with other um, entities, with uh, agencies at different levels. Um, and, you know... Sometimes the work that we do is, is challenging. We're working between different interests, so not everybody loves us all the time. But what we, we try to um, try to work in support of you know shared interests where we where we can, and at the same time carrying out the state's responsibilities under our authorities. Shoreline Management Act is is one of our primary tools for managing the shorelines, but there are others, and and that's a great example of partnership. That that is a shared authority with our local governments. They are really the lead, but the state is in a support um, and, and guidance role. We do have uh, final approval authority of the plans. We have to approve that. We have shared responsibilities with the permitting then that happens under those plans of shoreline master plans. Patty, what would you uh, say about Oregon? Well, I'd say uh, many our partners know us, and, and I believe, I think we're doing a good job. Our, you know, all the, all the uh, coastal cities and counties uh, in the 80s, um, our department reviewed all their plans, and all their plans are part of our coastal program, and so they are they are part of our program. So we meet with them. They know us well, the other state agencies, the federal agencies. I would say that the public perhaps less as well um, compared to, like, the California Coastal Commission, for example, which is a very well-known coastal program. We, just we definitely... It's <laughs> like a lightning rod. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely fly under the radar more than they do, although with 20,000 comments we just received for Jordan Cove, I think people, a few more okay, people know about Things might be changing. Us. Right. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I think I'm interested. What base system is that LNG facility proposed for? Jordan Cove, where is that? Um, it's in the north spit of Coos Bay, which Coos is on the south Oregon Bay. coast. Wow, 20,000 comments. So that's a federal consistency review of a FERC license here. And uh, a Corps of Engineers. And a Corps of Engineers permit. That, yep. You know, LNG is a big thing in Texas. We're, as you know, when we were at the... <laughs> At the port of Brownsville yesterday, hearing about three LNG terminals coming into this port, and they're hoping all three occur, uh, tells you a lot about the energy policy of Texas and about the energy production. We're the number one uh, oil exporting and oil and gas exporting state, of course. Uh, but the issues up in the Pacific Northwest, I had not realized that there was LNG capacity and export capacity up in uh, Oregon and Washington. Can educate our audience about that. Well, this is a Canadian company, so this would be uh, Canadian uh, gas that would be... It's, Canadians. It's, there's actually <laughs> kind of a long story. It started out as an import facility a number of years ago. Well, of course, then that changed as the market changed. Um, it was originally denied uh, under the Obama administration by FERC, and then when the administration changed, they've resubmitted their application. It still uh, is an export facility. So... Um, and there would have to be new pipeline built and that, and that sort of thing, too. So it would certainly be the only one in the northwest. Uh, it, so the, pr the production, the, oil, the, the gas production is then Canadian. There's going to be, why? gee whiz. So they've got a facility, an import terminal. They're just going to expand it and make it a two-way event so they can come in. Uh, no, it's, it's not. Originally, they applied for uh, it to import, but this, is, this would be an export facility. Interesting. To, to okay. Asia. Well, I got a question, Pete, if, if, yeah, no, uh, go ahead. if you don't mind. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm curious to know, you guys, uh, obviously just ge geologically very different shoreline than what we're seeing out the window here in South Padre Island, Texas, uh, and uh, you both uh, were on the field trip and got to see, uh, kind of tour the region and spent this day uh, learning all about what's going on, uh, not only here, but around the country, but certainly a focus on, on this local area. Uh, what t tell me what you can take home with you from this meeting that you're going to say okay that's that's something i can i can put to use yeah i would start with that first of all I, it, it is always um, a great opportunity to come to us other coastal states and just see the challenges that they're facing and see how they're addressing them we always learn when we when we go to others um and so uh and and it's just amazing just to get to see the diversity of shorelines across this beautiful nation, too. So uh, it's been a pleasure being here. And the people, great, um, very hosp hospitable people. Just, it's been lovely. Um, I, I think uh, one of the things I will take from this, I always get nuggets from you know every conversation I have or every presentation we hear. Um, lots of good conversation with some of our federal partners today. We've been working in the state of Washington to really try to build our connection and collaboration with FEMA, um, especially in our work around coastal resilience and coastal hazards. And we've taken some really great steps there and also working with our state emergency management division. Um, so uh, it was great hearing the FEMA representative here today talking about the new program that they have coming in place, the, the BRIC program, building resilience and in infrastructure in communities. Um, and so I'm, I, I took some great information from that. We're going to go back and really start to work with some of our local partners to get ready for when that program um, starts uh, distributing funding. And hopefully we'll be poised to take advantage of that. Well, I think all the states should. It's widely said uh, um, if you spend a little money in advance, if you reduce risks and vulnerability on the, on the shoreline, 
It saves everybody a dime later, uh, and that's good for the taxpayers. An ounce of prevention. It's, the, it's truly the case in shoreline planning. I think that's proven to be true. So, and it is good to see FEMA stepping forward with your mitigation program expansion and making more funds available. Uh, we tend to be on the Gulf Coast and on the Atlantic shoreline uh, pretty much a funding after the disaster uh, priorities. And we lots of money flowing to the shoreline, but after the disasters occurred, I think shifting to more mitigation in advance, good idea. Uh, the, the number of FEMA uses is, uh, is six to one. So for every six dollar, to one. A dollar you spent in prevention, you save six dollars in recovery. It's costs. a good deal for the taxpayer. It is. Good deal for the taxpayers. Um, Patty, when, in, in your neck of the woods, and I think for both states here, one of the critical economic forces on the shoreline and the Pacific Northwest is the fisheries, not just salmon, but Dungeness crab and other species. There's been some, there's been some interesting developments in Oregon with the crab, uh, crab uh, association guys filing a lawsuit over ocean acidification. There's been some real, uh, I think, as, as usual, the Pacific Northwest leading the way in environmental thinking and policy. I think that's been true throughout American history. There's been a lot of great environmental policy originating in this part of the country. Can you talk a little bit about fisheries and, and how your programs interface with the fishery community economically and in, reg in regulation? Um, well, the coastal program in Oregon, we don't directly regulate fisheries. The Fish and Wildlife does. Right. And so, and, they're, and the fishermen want it that way. They don't yes. because they have, you know, very much of a, a relationship with Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife. Um, I'd say we, we do have an Ocean Policy Advisory Council that has quite a bit of fisheries representation on it. So when we're, when we're I'd say that the place where we interact with them the most, there's two. One is with our ocean planning. We have a territorial sea plan that our agency was the lead on. And, um, and we have a marine spatial plan, first on the West Coast, uh, marine spatial plan for marine renewable energy. And the, and the fishing industry was very interested in that. And so we, you know, that was really important for us to make sure that we had areas identified and protected that are important for fisheries and other mm -hmm. biological resources. So they were very interested in that. And I'd say the other place where we interact with them the most is in, um, in the estuaries. We also have, estu we've had estuary plans for all of our major estuaries since the, the 80s. And so, you know, making sure that water-dependent areas are protected for that so that you don't put a bunch of houses there and then you don't have anywhere to put your ports and, and other water-dependent uses. So, and also really trying to maintain some of the working waterfronts, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's like Newport, Astoria, some places like that where, where you have the mixture of it and making sure that those areas are, are preserved for the fishing industry and other water-dependent uses. Right. What about up in, 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 in Washington? How yeah, involved? Yeah, it's a similar story. Um, I, I highlighted a couple of things. So we recently adopted a marine spatial plan as well. Lots of engagement from a whole range of stakeholders there. That plan does now provide a, a framework for reviewing new proposed uses in the ocean. That also includes um, a requirement for the applicant to uh, consult with the fishing community um, early in the process. So there, there are steps that we try to take to, yeah. to um, you know, bring perspective, their perspectives uh, into the decision process. One example I'd, I'd also like to highlight is just the work that we've done jointly at the mouth of the Columbia River with our partners in Oregon. That's great. This was set up years ago. This was all really done um, around how to manage the sand that comes gets dredged out of the mouth of the Columbia River every year. And we're talking two and a half, three million cubic yards of clean sand every year. That's been a subject of a lot of the conversation yeah, here. Yeah, that's Texas a lot of is, material. You know, what do you, where do you do with the sand? Where does it go? And we've been working uh, for the past, going on 20 years now, 
to Im improve you know how we use that that resource uh, our, our county commissioner here at our meeting today referred just referred to that as it's like gold and it is it's clean sand it's valuable when you keep it on your shorelines it helps to keep them healthy and full and, and protective right and so we've been working through this regional sediment management process engaging a number of stakeholders and the Corps of Engineers out of the Portland office to try to keep figuring out ways to keep it in on our beaches or in our near shores to keep our beaches fed. And so the, the crab, fisher, crab fishermen, in particular the Crab Fishermen Association, has been very engaged in that process from the beginning. They, um, uh, NOAA Fisheries brought them in, the fishermen, to, to help with some of the, the um, monitoring work and the science work to assess you know, impacts on crab help design some of the studies for how to evaluate whether the crabs are impacted by sediment being dropped and all that. So there's been a, um, there are ways in which we collaborate well with those partners to try to make good decisions. That, that well, I think what you're describing is something that Tyler and I really focus on on Coastal News today and what you recognize as a fundamental aspect of, of shoreline management in America is the trade-off of economic interests that come up in every single management decision. When you're talking about waterways, you're really talking about tourism and the stability of beaches and access to the shoreline. You're also talking about fisheries and impacts and, and having to contend with this broad spectrum of economic interests is really the, what makes the work that you guys do a true art form because in government regulatory policy, I think the coast is the most complex and interconnected economic and environmental space that there is to manage and uh, I wanted to ask uh, I wanted to ask what you guys have come across in terms of development pressure on the shoreline as you've said there's no big cities on the coastline in these two states that story I guess probably the biggest city on the coast of either state is that right actually Coos Bay Coos Bay bigger yes and Newport also and Newport okay um, I remember going to Manzanita when I was at Lewis and Clark Law School and loving going to the coast, and the, you could buy a beautiful beach house for about $80,000. And I, I, I know that's no longer true. It's now I, I, I checked. I, I know. I think now I'm like, what? Of course, I didn't have any money at that point in my life. But development pressure in real estate, what's going on in the, in the coastlines, and, and do you have setbacks? How do you do doom protection? Can you, inter, can you help us a little bit? In, in what happens in the Northwest when it comes to real estate or, or, or property development along the coast? Well, I'll start. Uh, first of all, I guess I would, um, so you, if you're saying coast, then you're saying Pacific coast because um, if, you, if you're talking about not very much population. I, right, for, because for us, well, Puget our, Sound, it's, yeah. yeah, we have to talk about that. We have that to is our it. coast. That's, That's our right. Coast Seattle, well, so. oh my gosh, Olympia, the, whole, the Tacoma, the whole, right. geez, the We whole. have about 3,300 plus miles of shoreline, marine shoreline in the state of Washington. Okay. So, so yes, we have significant you know, development pressures uh, in, in the Puget Sound area right. in particular. My um, apologies, absolutely yeah, true. That's, that's fine. You're correct on the Pacific Coast, though. It's definitely much... Uh, much less of a, a pressure out there, but it still does happen. The setbacks, um, you know, are all sort of uh, captured in their local shoreline master programs, which are again they de local governments develop them. They have to be consistent with the state guidelines. We have to approve them, and then right. we jointly implement them. So, okay. Yeah. So it's it's um, it continues to it's a challenging issue. I think that we, as we've been updating these local programs over the last 15 years, they were all required to update them under new guidelines. I think those measures have, have, have gotten more protective 
of, of the shoreline, uh, and it's still a challenge area in some in some areas. Right. Do you find, Patty, that this is one of the more, in my experience, in the Oregon and the Texas Coastal Management Program, and particularly our beach dune permitting program, uh, we we, li- we we heard from Christina Baborka, who's the, the the local beach dune permitter here in the city of South Padre Island. Uh, it is some of the most complicated decision making and the most political, in my experience, where there's truly. Uh, I don't know what to say about it, but it's it's not easy to implement the standards. Um, how has it been in Oregon in in your experience in in developing uh, in managing development along the Oregon coast? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, we uh, we have uh, statewide planning goals in Oregon that that are what are they a basis for all the city and county plans? And so we have one specifically for beaches and dunes, which doesn't allow development in certain areas. Uh, uh, deflation planes that are subject to, to overtopping active four dunes. So we don't have a specific setback. It's something that we're thinking maybe we should. But um, also the part of that beaches and dune goal says that you cannot have hard armoring right. of the coastline if it was developed after 1977. Hmm. And so, which was great. I think we all agreed upon that. But unfortunately, there was un- quite a, well, some development anyway that happened between 1977 and currently that was built closer than it should have been. And so, of course, now they want they want to put hard yeah. armoring there. And yep. so um, it's not our agency that issues their, their, uh, those permits. Um, it's the Parks Department, but they work closely with us to say, all right, is this eligible? Can right. we, are they allowed? And it's it's very controversial when, when the state says no. And so they're yeah. threatening, you know, takings and that sort of thing. And I, I didn't get to answer that question about a nugget that I took away, and one is yes, please do that South Carolina, and, and I knew this before, but now because it's 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 really coming to a head in Oregon about this, you know, proposed legislation that didn't go anywhere that would have, you know, perhaps weakened that protection, and so um, in South Carolina and North Carolina, they just don't allow it. It doesn't. Right. They don't even have a date. They just don't allow new hard hard armoring, and so um, so that was. You know, I think that was helpful for us to hold the line, so yeah, to speak. Yeah, agree. I think there's there's a lot of pressure in the Carolinas uh, for the same reason that I think all coastal managers face when people's livelihoods, homes, businesses are on the water and clearly at risk. Uh, it's very hard to implement a policy that says we're gonna, we're, not, we're just not going to let you protect it in this way. Uh, it's important, though, to have that policy clarity, I think, and North Carolina has been under a lot of pressure uh, there are little exemptions where things squeak through through emergency uh, stabilization measures and the use of geotextile tubes and other kinds of, of things because that I don't know this is part of what what I really do respect about the people who do this work is is understanding what is the best policy is square one understanding the communities and having the relationships to implement the policy is number two but then actually getting it to stick is is a real art and a, and a, and a I don't know, uh, uh, Brian. You're sa- shaking your head, but I think you. I think I think we appreciate the same thing here. It's yeah. a, it's not an easy job. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Uh, so armoring is, is typically allowed in, in the state of Washington, um, but but there are it, it's the goal is to have it only done when when necessary. So uh, and that's what our new regulations were really driving to local programs to to move toward. And so um, what we're trying to really emphasize is what are what are alternatives. Um, so, uh, it, it, and you have to really have a demonstrated need, a demonstrated erosion problem, and and then and if so, then you can armor. But then you really need to start with the softest approaches, uh, 
uh, possible at first. Living shorelines, yeah, right? Yeah, the idea. We, we don't call them living shorelines typically in Washington. We're, we use the term green shorelines or okay. you know, shoreline, soft shoreline are, are alternatives. Right. And that's really where I think we're trying to put a lot of emphasis along with other partners in Puget Sound, um, uh, especially to uh, there's been a lot of work done developing guidance for what, how, how to, what armoring approaches might work. Uh, but there's still a long way to go, so we're investing staff time in that now. There's, a, um, I think, a lot that's going to be happening in the coming years to really try to further that kind of solution in our in our Puget Sound shorelines in particular. Yeah. And on the on the Pacific Coast, uh, we're trying to work maybe a little bit at a, a different scale on bigger projects. Um, one example, we got some funding through this uh, this, this core. It was eleven twenty two. It was a project. For, yeah, section eleven twenty two yeah, funding yeah, for beneficial the, use pilot projects. The CAP programs. One so, of the CAP authorities. So we got one of those projects. The funding hasn't fully arrived yet, but but to um, do a, a, a sand placement uh, near near the city of Westport, we worked in partnership with. The city of Westport and Department of Natural Resources, Department of State Parks, other others to basically put a proposal together to take some of the sand that's being dredged out of the channel and put it on the beach there because they've been having some significant erosion um, problems in in that area. And it's a great example of how hard this can be. This set of condominiums in that area, when they were built, they weren't even in shoreline jurisdiction. They were more wow. than 200 feet away, wow. and then you know. 15 years later, wow. they're at risk. The shoreline has moved. The shoreline has moved. And so we're trying to find the soft solutions, put sand on the beach uh, to try to avoid ar armoring in that area. That sounds, it sounds like the right answer. I know it's not the perfect answer, but there are no perfect answers, is what we say about along the American shoreline. There are tough trade offs all the time. Uh, is sea level rise, Patty, and, and, and something that is openly discussed and evaluated and included in your strategies in, in Oregon and in Washington? Because in some parts of the country, it's a dirty word and you're not supposed to say it. I think that's becoming less and less true. But up in the Pacific Northwest, is it, how important is shoreline change and the understanding of that phenomenon in your planning? Um, we're, we are addressing it, although it's interesting. If you go out to the Oregon coast and you ask what's the biggest hazard, they're going to focus on tsunamis. Yeah. But, but we, um, we're, we're doing everything we can do to start addressing sea level rise in a better way. We, we um, had a, a NOAA coastal fellow who did sea level rise analyses for all of our, um, all of our estuaries, including infrastructure that would be at risk. And so we did that to help the local communities, you know, reevaluate their estuary plans to say, okay, do we need, what do we need to do here? And we want to do something similar for the ocean coast as well. Um, we have, you know, regional sea level rise analyses, but we want it to be more specific that, so that at a scale that can actually be used for local planning. Right. So um, in there, um, and we're, uh, again, the legislature was looking at, at having us specifically address a climate change through all of our statewide planning goals. That didn't happen, but we want to do it anyway. So that, and we're starting to get communities ask us, how can we address sea level rise in our plans? And so we're, we're really, um, you know, we just hired a climate change adaptation coordinator a year ago. Um, Great. So, so we're, we're shifting more in that direction. you got an official position. That's a good start. Florida has one now in the okay. governor's office. Uh, and they're the Republicans, but they've got a lot of sea level rise problems. So as, as we like to say, reality is a great teacher. And they've gotten serious about it because they need to. Uh, what about in Washington State? Sea level rise, part of your planning? Climate change, part of your thinking? Yep, we can say it out loud. Uh, it's certainly a, a, an issue and um, that we're, we're paying attention to and working on. Uh, we've been working over the past three years with 
uh, Washington Sea Grant as a key partner, as well as the University of Washington Climate Impacts Group on a project to uh, basically get a better um, sense of, of what sea level rise projections are and on, on a probabilistic approach. So in other right. words, not just you know, how high is it going to get, but it's what percentage of a chance is it going to get this high in, the, in this particular area and what percentage is it going to get this high. So are you going to have a 90% chance that it's going to rise six inches uh, by yeah. 2050 or you know, a 10% chance that it's going to rise three feet, you know, just as an example. Yeah. So um, they've been doing great technical work to really incorporate the vertical land movement issue in here because in some parts of our state the land is still is, is subsiding and in some cases it's still actually coming back up rebounding from the, the weight of the glacier 10,000 wow. years ago so you've got to factor that all in with the sea level rise projections to really get a sense of what the risk is in different parts of Man. the state so great God, materials cool. coming out from that coming up soon um, really great work by UW and Sea um, Grant on that and then we work to try to get that into to guidance for local governments, right. uh, along with others. There's a lot of people paying attention to this now. Yeah. Well, you know, ladies and gentlemen, I think this is what I was so glad th that you guys stopped by to talk to us. I would like to interview every single state coastal program manager. Uh, we had more time uh, because this is where the rubber meets the road. This is a very challenging, uh, I think, place to work. And uh, there's just the professionalism, I think, you guys work in concert with partners at the federal level, at the local level. You're in a networked program. That means multiple agencies are involved. It couldn't get more complicated and more moving parts. And But there's been success all around the American shoreline with good coastal management. I think it's, it's improved shorelines all across America. It is a daily challenge. And so I really want to just uh, acknowledge the work that you guys do and thank you for for what you're working on. Now, closing thoughts, uh, Brian, Patty, closing thoughts? Uh, well, I think you captured the challenges really well and the community of coastal managers nationwide. I'm, I'm really proud to get to work with a group of people that are as caring and smart as, as this group is. So uh, it's a privilege to work in it and, and hopefully we're, we're all making a difference. Well, like I said, it's um, it's the best job I've ever had. I really enjoy it. It's challenging, very challenging, and I think you both did a great job at interviewing us and made it easy. So. <laughs> well, <laughs> so ladies and gentlemen, Patty Snow, the Oregon Coastal Program Manager, and Brian Lynn, who through the Department of Ecology is the manager of the Washington Coastal Management Program. And Tyler? And just before we go, uh, you know, thank, thank you both for coming on, and uh, just want to extend a thank you to the Coastal States Org. Uh, organization for having us here to yes, provide absolutely. live podcast content of this great meeting uh, special thanks to coastal transplants uh, our sponsor for covering uh to allowing us to cover this event and of course our accommodations were provided by uh the legend troy giles uh and the palms uh resort and uh cafe on the beach that's right uh, and we really appreciate their uh, supporting our coverage of this meeting Absolutely. It's been really good. We're looking forward to next year. I understand, Brian, you're going to be hosting it up in Washington State, are you not? That's right. Is that going to, where are we going to be? Do you know yet? We're not sure yet. We're <laughs> looking at a bunch of different options. We've got a lot of nice places to choose from, and it's all about working out the logistics. Well, we're looking forward to start starting the planning soon. Great. We'd love to come up and, and, and with a little bit more advanced time, I think, really work with y'all on, on bringing the, the conversation from these professionals to the American public. I think they need to know what we all do or what you all do. 
And uh, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the American Shoreline Podcast. I want to look up the small